it's Tuesday, 21st of January. I'm Jackie Oatley and this is The Athletic Transfer Daily. Coming up on today's show, Daniel Taylor has written a rather fascinating piece on the weird and wonderful clauses that players request in their contracts. Richard Sutcliffe will share the secrets behind Sheffield United's spectacularly prudent and successful transfer dealings. Plus, we'll have a roundup of transfer news elsewhere. We've got Laurie Whitwell on Man United, Chris Wharf on Newcastle, and Paul Taylor on those tricky trees at Nottingham Forest. <laughs> Now, you're probably rather desperate for your club to be signing a player, or players, plural. Maybe you're constantly tweeting the club journal, begging for some news, but the chances are maybe your club is working incredibly hard behind the scenes to get a deal done without telling you what's going on. But the pesky agents demanding some random clauses be inserted, which is rather complicating matters and delaying them as well. Well, this is where Daniel Taylor comes in, because he has written a brilliant piece today for The Athletic on precisely that. Hi, Danny. Hi, Jackie. You okay? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this piece. It was, um, we knew about Sunderland's Stefan Schwartz from a few years ago wanting to go into space, but you've given us a bit more detail on that. I love the bit about Ronaldinho wanting a two party nights a week clause at Flamengo. Mario Balotelli getting an extra million pounds a year just to not get himself sent off too often. What was the thinking behind the piece? Well, we just thought it'd be uh, quite fun to have a look at the way contracts have changed. So um, we, we actually got hold of the first contract we got was back in the 1970s and then all the way through to the modern day. And as you can imagine, the, the older contracts, they just used to be sort of two-page documents, really, with um, the secretary's signature on it and how much you were going to get paid, whereas now you, you can get 40, 50 pages in, in a modern player's contract. So many different stipulations and it's all very personalised to the player's needs these days. So... For example, when I, when I saw Gary Cook recently, we were talking about um, the time he was uh, signing Jerome Boateng for Manchester City. And according to Gary, Gary's version is that Jerome Boateng wanted a load of clauses for his dog. Um, that basically he, he had a he had a uh, dog that he wanted to bring with him, and it was all about the pet insurance and the costs of bringing that over. Just just so so many unusual quirks, really. Um, Frank Clark at Nottingham Forest remembers Lars Boheen, and he was a great player at Forest, but basically when it came to renegotiating his contract, according to Frank, there were 50-odd clauses, and you know, including um, basically changing the, the, the carpet of his house because he didn't like the carpet because apparently the fluff was getting up his nose. So yeah, Lars Boheen has to pay for that, absolutely. Well, in, indeed, yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair to Frank, Frank said, well, he was getting up my nose as well at the same time. So, you know, there, there were all sorts, you know, Frank spells them out, but there, there were so many... Uh, all sorts of just really peculiar um, requests that I suppose probably shows you a little bit also about how player power has come in. I thought the Manchester United behaviour clauses were interesting, as you were saying in the piece about how it really encourages players to be pretty bland in interviews so they don't get themselves into trouble. But then you think about Jesse Lingard and his social media activity, particularly in Miami last summer, it doesn't quite add up there, does it? Yeah, well, the thing is, and I think this, um, I mean, this has been jokingly referred to by someone I know at Old Trafford um, as, a, as a bit of a Roy Keane clause. But if you, if you think these days about it, and you all know this as well, you know, it, it, it's, it is rare these days, certainly more or less common than it used to be for players to sort of, you know, if players are out of the team these days, you don't really hear players complaining about it publicly or you don't hear people, footballers, complaining about tactics in the way they may, they may have done once. Um, 
you know, there's a deliberate form of blandness there. And then when you look through these contracts, you can understand a bit more why, because there are reams upon reams of clauses setting out about the, the behaviour that's expected of them. And that it's basically because the football clubs want their brand to be always, you know, held up in this sort of sparkling light and, they, and they, they're protecting themselves from from any of their footballers sort of sharing negative opinion about them. So when you see the money that's involved and, the, you know, the, there is, a, you know, it is an industry where, where, where the employees can be fined, when you see the money that's involved, you know, it, it does maybe help you to understand why footballers do toe the line more, you know, and why they are willing to sort of sell a bit of their personal liberty to you know to be to to have that blandness i mean there's so many ex-footballers now you see them in the media and they, they they've got they're full of opinion and but they never used to be when they were playing you know they used to toe the line and it just you know you can understand why you can it made our job a lot more difficult at the time it didn't is, it? but yeah. challenging that's what we're there for you mm-hmm. talked about player power um, i'm quite confused by the Yang section why did they pay him a Champions League bonus at Arsenal of £2.26 million, even though Arsenal had failed to qualify? Well, that's a very good question. And to be honest, it's probably that's really one that's probably better directed at Football Leaks because they, they, I haven't seen, and I wish I had, obviously, but I haven't seen Aubameyang's contract. That was a section that, that I've taken out of the Football Leaks, but which obviously was and still is a huge story about, about all the, you know, just showing... The, the extreme riches, which are mind-boggling sums that, um, you, you know, no matter how many times you look at them, you still find incredible. Just on how much, fo- you know, the, the big clubs will pay their players, basically, you know. So, you know, another one was Virgil van Dijk basically getting half a million pounds last year from, from clean sheet clauses. Now, there was a time, it doesn't feel too long ago, when, when a lot of clubs resisted the idea of, of, goal cl- of goal bonuses or clean sheet bonuses because... They thought, well, if we're, you know, if we're paying a striker fifty thousand pounds a week, uh, and I tell this story from Harry Redknapp's um, quoting about Jermaine Defoe, and it, you know, that's why we bought the striker. To, to, so why do they want a goals bonus? You know, Barcelona didn't put one in because they didn't like the idea of a striker sort of running, running forwards and thinking, you know, I could make a lot of money by scoring this, and there might be someone in a better position I could pass it to, but I'm going to have a shot. You know, is does subconsciously that come into it? So. Nowadays, every player has goal bonuses, not just that, assist clauses. So, you know, if you set up a goal, you, you are now liable if you're playing for a top Premier League club to get a five-figure bonus for that. So that could involve winning the free kick. You know, strictly speaking, an assist could be winning the free kick that someone, someone you know, puts in from 30 yards or, or a simple six-yard pass in your own half that, you know, then a teammate runs 40 or 50 yards beats three players and scores and you know the player who played that six yard pass is going to get an assist bonus which which I just find really strange <laughs> and he just shows that Jermaine Defoe's mum was a little bit ahead of her time acting as his agent wasn't she asking for a, a goals bonus and Harry's going what are you talking about now it's going Har- to be- Harry Redknapp loves to tell that story because he's old school he's not he's not he's not stuck in the 1950s but Harry, Harry Redknapp tells that story because he just couldn't believe how what an incredible sort of suggestion it could be that a striker would want a goals bonus when he when he's getting paid a huge sum of money and and you know that so when would that have been no it's sort of you know a decade later basically that that is that is just completely common practice now and nobody would ever argue for a striker at a premier league club wanting something like that or or if you're a defender or 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 even a midfielder i think it can get eligible for clean sheet bonuses certainly goalkeepers so yeah, I mean, again, it's all stacked up in terms of in favour of the player. Also interesting, 
less quirky, a little bit mind-boggling. Every time we read or hear anything about Alexis Sanchez, who's still being paid £175,000 a week to be injured um, and not at Manchester United, um, £6.7 million signing on fee for Alexis Sanchez at Man United, plus his basic annual salary of £20.35 million in wages and marketing rights, supplemented by £75,000 for every game he started. Those figures are absolutely staggering and mind-blowing, bearing in mind he's not exactly produced the results of a Cristiano Ronaldo type. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think anybody would argue. I mean, he, he must be the, um, the biggest... Flop? Well, in terms of financial, certainly, you know, you know, the biggest waste of money, I suppose. It, certainly in Manchester United's history, and probably the Premier League's. The fact Manchester United are now paying him, I've seen all sorts of figures reported, you know, mostly between sort of £175,000 to £200,000 a week to actually play for another football club, probably just sort of sums up what a mess it's become at Old Trafford. You know, it just goes back to this thing Manchester United have where they love stocking up on, on almost vanity signings, really, and just players that... A huge lack of thought goes into it. I mean, what, what, I, I still can't get my head around the Bruno Fernandes deal, really. You know, that that, that I'm, you know, it now sounds like it might be on the rocks, but I go back to last summer when myself and various other journalists were told in the strongest terms just to ignore this link because it's you know yet, an, yet another player from the Portuguese leagues whose agent's getting busy. They're trying to use United's name. You know, we've got no interest in him whatsoever, and. You know, and they didn't go in for him. That that is just a fact. <laughs> he then signs an, an, a new contract, which means that all of a sudden he's a very, he, he's going to cost more for any potential buyer. And then a few months later, United decide they do like him after all. So that so now they've, they're faced with the higher cost, and that's why it's about to collapse. Oh um, so you know, it it just when you compare it to the way the you know Manchester City and Liverpool just have such a slick operation these days, it just it just it's, it's very hard to understand, basically. You know, the, the, these, bi- these big, expensive players, the, the, the deals to sign them, they can take six to nine months of preparation and scouting and foresight. But, uh, and then, well, if you just look at the Bruno Fernandes deal and the, the lack of consideration, really, with Alexis Sanchez, then um, it, it, it shows United's recruitment problems are as bad as people say. Mm, you think of the wastage in the men's game and then you end your piece on a very heartwarming note about a couple of players in the women's game. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I just it, it was just a throwaway line, really, that uh, my colleague Kim kindly gave me. Just a comparison, basically. Just you, you're talking about these you know, mind-boggling figures and then West Ham basically signed a couple of players from Holland and... That, you know, they they too had their sort of contract demands, which basically, you know, um, uh, apart from just the basic pay and everything, they w- they wanted to put a couple of bicycles to help them look around London, I suppose. And it's so it's just you know it's quite a, quite a sweet sort of charming story amidst all these sort of horror stories, really, really of um, of you know. I mean, there's some of it. I mean, as I say, Stefan Schwartz was a, uh, one of my one of my favourite stories. I think I didn't I, I didn't know about this. I can't claim. To have the exclusive here because it, it did it didn't get much coverage at the time but it was mentioned I did find an old an old clipping of it but yeah it is a bit of a, a trivia quiz question it was yeah it's just, it's just a lovely story basically he he, he when he was signing for Sunderland um, basically while they were going for the negotiations Moonraker the old J- James Bond film was on television at the time and he got talking about it with his agent and at that time apparently 
around the millennium it, there, there was sort of quite a bit of speculation in the media about commercial flights going up to space and apparently you could kind of pre-book I, i've got a vague memory of this i can't remember it too clearly but you could you could pre-book if you paid a certain amount of money you could pre-book the first commercial flights into space and basically he and his agent decided they, they wanted to go up to space and stefan schwartz was really interested in it and and it, and then Sundan found out about it. So basically, they put in a clause into his contract banning him from space travel, um, which which is you know, <laughs> of all the clauses, that is that, that that's probably the most unusual one. But it's a great story, you know. As you say, a great trivia question: Who's the footballer who got banned from travelling into orbit? It's brilliant. It was Stefan Schwartz. Now, um, just while we've got you, because now you're very very knowledgeable on all matters Nottingham Forest we're going to have Richard Sutcliffe on the line in a moment talking about Sheffield United they've just signed Jack Robinson the left back from Forest um, what's your view on him um, I'm slightly surprised I, I'm not in another way because he's the kind of player that Chris Wilder would like um, uh, you know a good professional uh, unspectacular I'd, I'd say but but Sturdy, but he's not actually in the team. He's not actually been a, a regular anyway. For, um, for certainly for the last few months, um, he's a solid pro. He's 26. Why well, I say I'm surprised? I'm not sure Forrest were really kind of like making a great effort to keep him. Basically, that doesn't mean that Chris Wilder won't you know won't sprinkle his magic on him and turn him into a, you know a player who's capable of, of flourishing at the higher level. But you know, good luck to him. And uh, as I say, probably one that works out all round because he's not cost Sheffield United too much money. Forest were going to lose him for free in the summer, probably. And for the player, it's a great move because obviously you go into a team that's, you know, pretty much safe already, isn't it? I mean, I don't think they they, they have any need to, to look back at the moment. I think, to be honest, they're probably looking forward at the uh, at the possibility of getting into Europe next season. Exactly. Well, the sturdy, solid pro in Jack Robinson's about to have some Chris Wilder stardust sprinkled all over him, isn't he? To turn him into a a very good Premier League player, no doubt. Well, stay there. Just for a moment, if you wouldn't mind, Daniel, because we're just going to hear from Matt Woosnam now, who's our Palace reporter, and he's about to bring us the latest from Selhurst Park. Wilfred Zaha has reportedly said that he is happy to stay at Palace until the end of the season. It was always unlikely that he would be sold in January. No club has, as far as I'm aware, made any bid for him in this window. Certainly not anywhere near the value that Palace put on him, which is around 70 to 80 million. Potentially things may change in the summer. He may have suitors and depending on how he does it the rest of the season, but he does still have three years left on his contract. Palace will of course plan for life after he goes if that is indeed what happens the money they get will certainly mean that they'll be able to bring in at least a couple of players you'd think that they would both be wide players as for January I believe Palace are still working on at least one more signing for the rest of this window so Wolf Zaha at Palace really interesting situation because he clearly wants to go he's made that clear but it sounds like he's not going in January how much planning and foresight will need to go on at Palace for them to be prepared to let him go, bearing in mind how they're going to have to recruit to be able to replace him? Well, yeah, a huge amount. I mean, just going back to what I was saying earlier about the, um, you know, the recruitment processes these days, you know, you, you, it's a nine-month operation, basically, to, to looking ahead. You know, the, the, the football clubs in the Premier League will have, will have been looking ahead to next summer's window from, say, October onwards, uh, possibly earlier in some cases. So, and sometimes... You can, yes, you can. You can, you know, with the money that if they sold him, they could, you know, they could bring in three, four, five players. Sometimes, they, you know, I think back to Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Manchester United and Gareth Bale. People said at the time, you know, well, this, you know, this money, this will be a good thing. And then actually, it turns out that replacing that star player 
is really really quite difficult and um you know it's it, it, it's hard to find like for like and you can you know you can buy you can get a few players for 20 million pounds perhaps but it's still not the same as having an 80 million pound player which is what they've got at the moment it's such an important player for crystal palace it, it's a headache for them really you know they're going to get a lot of money but they're also potentially going to lose their star player and finding the replacements it, it, people think it's easier than it actually is really not easy at all replacing Zaha good luck to Dougie Friedman though the sporting director of Palace who's tasked with that particular job maybe let's give him till the summer um, well thank you for your time Daniel and for your insight now I know you're at Hotel Football in Manchester aren't you just across the way from Old Trafford having a bit yep. of a, a day with various athletic correspondents would you mind grabbing Richard Sutcliffe for us I will go and grab him now yeah he's he's uh, having his lunch well, in the meantime, before we hear from Richard, you may well have downloaded the latest Ornstein and Chapman weekly podcast, on whose platform, by the way, the Transfer Daily is squatting for the month. You may well have gathered, bearing in mind you're listening to us. So you may have heard David Ornstein say that talks are at an advanced stage between Arsenal and Levan Kozawa, PSG's France international left-back. He's 27 years of age. He has 13 caps for France. Uh, Kozawa will be a free agent in six months' time, so clubs are allowed to speak directly with the player. We will, of course, bring you any more on that as we have it. Let's get the latest transfer news now from elsewhere, starting with Chris Woff on Newcastle. Newcastle United are finally set to make a breakthrough in the transfer market when they signed former Spurs midfielder Nabil Bentaleb on an initial half-season loan deal with a view to buy from Schalke. Head coach Steve Bruce has sought a technical option for his midfield and Bentaleb will provide that, even if questions remain about his attitude given that he has been suspended four times by Schalke for a range of disciplinary issues. Bentaleb could be the first of up to four signings this month, with talks ongoing for Inter Milan winger Valentino Lazaro, a mid-rival interest from RB Leipzig. Bruce would ideally like to add another forward too, while a left wing-back has also been added to the wanted list following season-ending injuries to Jetro Willems and Paul Dummett. For more on this, you can read my latest article on The Athletic. Hi Jackie, it's Paul Taylor in Nottingham where Nottingham Forest are finally getting into a bit of transfer action in the January window. One player's left the city ground today and, and one has arrived in the form of Adama Diakabi, the Huddersfield winger. He's 23, he's six foot one. Uh, he's got a bit of pace, a bit of power. He arrives on loan with a view to a permanent move further down the line if all goes well. Uh, he once signed a five-year contract with Monaco, who he played in the Champions League for after joining them from Stade René. And uh, Sabri Lamucci regards him as a player with a lot of potential and he'll hope to, to bring that out of him in the, uh, in the remaining months of the season. Other than that, Jack Robinson, uh, the versatile defender, uh, has made a little bit of a surprise move to Sheffield United. He's moved to the Premier League where his versatility of being able to play at left-back or in the centre of defence will... Uh, We'll perhaps see him get a get a chance in Chris Wilder's side. The fee for him could rise to up to a million pounds, uh, but the, the initial fee is expected to be a bit a bit lower than that as he was out of contract. Hi guys, it's Laurie Whitwell, uh, covering Manchester United for the Athletic. In terms of transfers, uh, I was with Solskjaer this morning. Uh, you know, as usual, would keep his uh, cards pretty close to his chest, but did say that they are looking at some short-term loans or, or, or you know, short-term signings um, to make up for the fact that Marcus Rashford's obviously now going to be out injured for a number of weeks. Is it going to be a number of months? It could well be actually. Edison Cavani is one that I just look at and think, you know, let's try and do that one from a United perspective. Uh, he's obviously out of contract at PSG in six months' time. 
time. Explore that possibility is clearly a proven goal scorer, incredible uh, ratio of goals. Would provide a lift, obviously, on the counterbalance. It would cost a lot in terms of wages. Um, in terms of Bruno Fernandes, the long-running Bruno Fernandes saga that has, has trickled on from the summer now into the January window. The situation is that uh, Sporting Lisbon seems to be pricing him at 80 million euros. United are looking at 50 million euros. There's obviously different uh, guarantees and add-ons within that, but clearly they are uh, quite a significant um, distance apart on fee. I'm told that the personal terms wouldn't be a problem. United have been giving encouragement that he wants to come, but um, you know, if, if a deal isn't agreed between the clubs, then that's where it's at, and United are, are absolutely adamant that they won't overpay for him. So I think that one is a case of who blinks first. Now, let's switch to a club three places and four points above Arsenal as things stand. We're chatting here on a Tuesday afternoon before a load of matches tonight. But one shopping in a bargain basement store compared to Arsenal with spectacular results, that is Sheffield United. Their reporter Richard Sutcliffe joins us now. Hi, Richard. Hi there. First of all, we need to know about your lunch because Daniel Taylor was just telling us that you were very slowly finishing off. Was it some soup? Yes, it was a nice leisurely soup and a cheese and onion sandwich. So I'm... uh... You know, I kept looking across and thinking, keep going, Danny, keep going, keep going. And he did. So happy days. <laughs> Good lad. He's a professional, isn't he, on that front? <laughs> now, I mean, Sheffield United are a fabulous success story in terms of clubs looking to come up from the championship. Bearing in mind they came second, you know, they didn't blow everybody else away. And then their recruitment has been very, very clever. Um, with a couple of big money signings, if you like, from their standards for Ollie McBurney uh, and Lise Mousset, and the rest very much bargain basement shopping. Tell us what the thinking is behind all that. Yeah, well, you know, Chris he just last week actually likened it. He says if you know, if ever gets into an auction, then Sheffield United have got no chance whatsoever because you know an agent or a club will turn around and say, well, how big's your telly? And he says, well, I'm I'm working with a portable, which I thought was a really good way of summing up. You know what they can do because they're you know they've got the smallest budget in the Premier League. Last season they had the eighth lowest budget in the um, in the championship and they've just got to look around for, for bargains really obviously you mentioned Ollie McBurney and Lee Smoothset there but they were both very much you know take a chance on them really you know because you know 20 million pounds even it sounds daft you know it's unprecedented for for Sheffield United but 20 million pounds don't really buy you a lot you know in the Premier League terms and so they've had to shop around they've had to try and do things differently obviously they went mainly to the championship in uh, in the summer because you know, and again they've done that with Jack Robinson just now because it's the market they know and it's a market that they think they can get value from. Are there any players that Chris Wilder's missed out on that you've got wind of? Yeah, um, Neil Morpé, who Brighton got, they, they were very interested in him. They really wanted to get him and um, Ollie McBurney in the summer, but uh, you know Brighton just came in with uh, too much of an offer, and that, that's what he means really. With if if somebody else comes in for a player from the Premier League, then Sheffield United just can't compete. And with their budget, they've had to go for players who perhaps have ability but haven't necessarily shone elsewhere. The likes of Ravel Morrison, we know all about his issues with his personal life or temperament, call it what you will. Jack Rodwell, his situation, his contract standoff at, at Sunderland. Now these two find themselves at Premier League clubs with an incredible opportunity to really do something. How... How have they settled in, particularly Ravel Morrison on a personal front and personal conduct, etc.? Yeah, they've, they've settled in really well. Obviously, he's not playing uh, Ravel. He's playing in the FA Cup, but he's, he's not anywhere near the Premier League team. So people look at that and they say, oh, there must be something going on behind the scenes. But there honestly isn't. It's just he's, you know, he's come in and he's not really what fitted into how they play. Because last season they played with a number 10, which was Mark Duffy. But this season they swapped 
for the opening day. They, they didn't really do it in pre-season, but for the opening day, they went with three, a flat three in midfield with Fleck and Lundstrom attacking forward. Then with uh, with with Norwood sort of as the as the as the pivot for them to go forward often. Ravel Morrison really is is a number ten the way he plays and you know he can't play out wide because they play with wing backs so he was one of these that was you know it was, it was a gamble worth taking because we've all seen the talent that he's got you know I think of the goal he scored for West Ham against Tottenham when he ran Mollis the length of the well half a length of the field from halfway but he's not really fitted into how Sheffield United play so you know it is it, it, very rarely even in the eighteen. Never mind uh, anywhere near the team. Obviously, Jack Rodwell came in in the summer, uh, in the summer, sorry, earlier this month, and uh, he's a bit closer, and because uh, they needed that cover at right, right side of defence, really on the on the with with Chris Basham, you know, they play three at the back, the overlapping, yeah, it has to be a good player on the ball because you know Bash was a midfielder when he started, which obviously Rodwell's played most of his games in midfield, but Chris has brought him in as cover for for Chris Basham in the interim. But if he does well, which is his contract's only until the summer, you know, if he does well, then there's an extended deal could be on the offing, and you know, it'd be genuine competition then for Chris Basham. So Jack Robinson's just come in. Any sign of anybody else imminently? Yeah, well, it, it, Jack Robinson was there yesterday when we were up at the training ground, so he, you know, he was expected to come in. But another one who fits it really is a bargain basement. He was out of contract in the summer, so they've got him. You know, we're told a million pounds, but I'm not even sure it's that high. Um, but he just brings that cover for the both, you know. Ender Stevens and Jack O'Connell, who are left-sided of defence and the left wing-back. Um, so they've covered those two areas. He would like a bit more in midfield, a bit more cover for Ollie Norwood. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of money to spend for the club because, you know, coming up in the summer, the ownership row has been finally settled today because Kevin McCabe, he requested leave to appeal from the Court of Appeal, but they've turned that down, we found out this morning. So that's sorted now. The Prince Abdullah is 100% owner and, and will be going forward. But what that deal means is that the club now have to buy Bramall Lane, Shycliffe Training Ground, an office block and also the hotel that sits next to the stadium. They have to buy that off McCabe's company in the summer. And that are, we've, we've not got a definite price, but we're estimating it's sort of 40 to £50 million. Pounds. They'll have to find and pay that in the summer. So obviously that's impacted on any potential to, to spend big money in January. And just finally, Richard, I'd love to get your perspective on what it's like dealing with Chris Wilder. I was speaking to a commentator the other day who was saying, what you see is what you get. He's very straight with players and that's part of his success. Is that how you found him? Very much so, yeah. I've known him a long time. I was at the Bradford Telegraph in August when he was a player at Bradford City, but I've got to know him properly when he was Halifax Town Manager and he's not changed one little bit since then. You know, he has the same pals, he goes to the same pub, he catches the same bus in uh, in Sheffield when he's going out for a drink. He's, 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 he's no different. He oh, gets yeah, the bus in Sheffield when he goes he out He does, the yes, he gets the bus. You know, he says, so it's a bit harder now because like, drivers want a selfie with him now when he's getting on, whereas <laughs> two years ago he could get on and nobody had a clue who he was. But they don't charge him though, do they? If they're a Wednesday fan, they would probably charge him a bit more, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, he's, he is just, just what you get. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Richard. Really appreciate your insight into life under Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. Enjoy your pudding, if you're allowed one, with your mates from The Athletic. <laughs> no problem at all. Anytime, Jackie. So that's it for today's Transfer Daily. You may hopefully be aware that The Athletic have just launched nine new podcasts on their platform, on all audio platforms, frankly. You might well have listened to the Molly New View, the, the new one that I did with Tim Spears, came out this morning. Do check it out if you fancy knowing about The Mighty Wolves. A 40% discount on subscribing to The Athletic if you put in the code UKPOD. 
and just time to tell you that Adam Leventhal will be back tomorrow and for the rest of the week and I'll be back next Monday for our final week on the Transfer Daily on The Athletic. Bye for now. Thank you.